0: In the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, we have set before us the very nature of sin, and then in verses 4 through 10, we have set before us the salvation that God has provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and His in that He is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But he didn't quit there. When he saved us, we became his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus and the good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But he prefaces these verses of Scripture with those first three verses and shows us the nature of sin, and he begins where we must all begin when we preach the gospel, and that is to show the need of the gospel. So he tells us, begin in verse 1, and you have he quickened, that is, By the Holy Spirit, those who are saved are quickened, made alive from the dead by the Holy Spirit because we were dead in trespasses and sins. He tells us that in times past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. among whom also we all had our conversation, our behavior, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He does not miss any words. The word of God does not mention any words as to where God finds us and what we are before He saves us. There's another scripture that goes with this. Has also been on my heart this week, and I must read it to you. Second Timothy two, beginning at verse twenty four. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him, at His will. There we find that those who are dead in trespasses and in sins, those who walk according to the course of this world, those whose conversation or behavior is in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, those who are by nature the children of wrath, as we all are, were, until God saved us and those who are not saved are still, by nature, the children of wrath. They abide under the wrath of God. He says not only that, being in that condition, but every individual outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, they oppose themselves. They're always arguing with themselves. And they must be taught, instructed, for one reason. That God, peradventure, will grant or will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may be able to turn to God from sin, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by Him at His will. I want the force of that to grip our hearts this morning, because God has laid upon my heart another message on sin this morning. I went into the, into the general ramifications of sin last Lord's Day morning, and this morning I want to come back with particular Sins, that we might know what sin is. But we must understand where we are. That in trespasses and sins, controlled by the prince of the power of the air, he works in the children of disobedience. We walk in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by nature the children of wrath, taken captive by Satan at his will, for we are in that snare and must be rescued by the grace of God from that snare that we are in only by the grace of God can this be accomplished. If you would understand it this morning. According to these scriptures that we have read, the whole race, every man born of woman, is committed through Adam to that which ought not to be. Love has gone astray, man has abandoned God. And man has come under the control of self and of Satan. He's in a terrible fix. The sacrificial principle has been repudiated, the selfish principle has been adopted, and the heart of man now searches for happiness on his own. But he does not seek it in the right place. He searches for happiness in himself, in his own will, instead of being found only in the will of God in Christ, who is God's substitute for sinners. I want you to listen to me this morning now. You bear with us. For if there's one message I've ever in all my life wanted to go home, to each and every one of our hearts it is this word that God has given us for this morning. And there will not be one of us in this house this morning that will not be affected by the Word of God, but that it will sink down deep into our souls. And beloved, it must be. It has to be. The Word of God must sink down into our souls. Because you see, man by nature does not want to come to God it must be taken out of the snare of the devil by the grace of God. But until that happens, man by nature goes around seeking his own happiness <clears throat> and he finds that he's unhappy. And man by nature, because he cannot find happiness, he forever blames everybody else for his misery. Man by nature is blind to the cause of his unhappiness, and so he is forever blaming others for his misery. You think of what we're saying. Man is conscious of some sort of strain between himself and his environment. And so in seeking to overcome the tension, he is always trying to change his environment, but his environment is always made up of personalities. Personalities are behind his environment, and so he's always on the lookout for those who have any influence on his surroundings and circumstances, that through them he may prevent or modify the conditions he believes are to blame for his unhappiness, the strained feeling that he feels. He does not know that it is his own heart. He looks at his friends. Perhaps they are to blame for my condition. He looks at his employer. Perhaps he is to blame for my strange condition. He look at his fellow workers. The husband will look at the wife. The wife will look at the husband. Well, the children will look at the fathers and mothers, or brothers and sisters. And there they try to find someone, something they can blame for their condition. But this strained condition will never go away, because in the back of all of their environments are those individuals who have the same hearts that they have. And they'll never find, you'll never find happiness in the creature. You'll never find happiness in the things of this world or the things of this life. But you'll only find happiness when you understand by the grace of God that out of your heart are the issues of life. And that out of your heart, Or all of those things that we are told that come out of there in Mark chapter 7, where he says that that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, that is, all manner of wickedness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. And so man by nature seeks to blame everything and everybody for his condition Because he's deceived by Satan and kept captive by Satan at his will. Well, are you listening to me? But the thing about this is that Satan is ever at work. For Satan's masterpiece is to try to make the world religious without Christ. So, what happens? He palms off on them a religion that will suit them and try to make them happy where they will not have to come before God to take the blame for their own condition before God, where they can feel some sort of freedom and happiness in religion without Christ, having never repented, having never taken the blame for their state before God, going about seeking to establish their own righteousness, and have not not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, And therefore, they're lost without God and without hope. Did you catch the expression? Satan's masterpiece of deceit is to try to make the world religious without Christ feelings, emotions, anything that He can possibly get them to have, He will give that to them to keep them from coming to the place where they fall before God as hopeless, helpless, lost sinners, doomed and damned without hope, and without God taking the blame for their condition before God. Beloved, I'm not hard. But I must come with the Word of God when He lays it upon my heart. And I want to show you this morning where all this leads to. Let's take one verse of Scripture found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. And this is what we find. Because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is enmity or in active rebellion against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Did you catch that? The carnal or the fleshly mind is enmity in active rebellion against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So what that verse of Scripture teaches us is this that every man born of woman comes out of his mother's womb, alienated from God, Colossians 121, you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind against by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled unto himself. <clears throat> I read the story one time of a missionary. And he was walking along the river somewhere there in Africa. And he noticed these little baby crocodiles that had not yet come out of their shells. And he kept his eye on them. And when they were born... Of course, they headed for the water. And he got him a stick. And he stuck it at one of the little small crocodiles. And the first thing it did was snap at that stick because that was its nature. To fight. the snap. Every man comes out of his mother's womb, alienated from God, An enemy of God, and therefore his sin, listen to me now, his sin is war against God. From the time the little one comes out of the mother's womb on through life, unless grace comes in and the Holy Spirit works in that heart to bring that individual to Christ for salvation, that individual will stay in perpetual war against God. He will be in active rebellion against God. Every soul, I don't care who they are, every man born of woman, by nature he is in a state of active enmity against God, He's in a state of actual warfare against God, and he's always at odds with God, and therefore he's in rebellion against God. David says as much in Psalm 51 when he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapened in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Couple that with Colossians one twenty one that I read, where man is alienated from God, an enemy of God, and therefore he must be reconciled to God. And God desires truth in the inward parts. God desires that the soul lay down its armor God desires that the man lay down everything that he's fighting God with, hoist the white flag of surrender, and close in with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this comes to us by the grace of God. Now, beloved, beloved, If God did not condemn sin, and if sin was not an outrage against God, if sin was not a defiance against God, and if sin was not punished because it is defiance against God, then God is not God. Because man can go against the very nature of God, justifying himself and condemning God for his moral being, blaming God for his sinnership. But God's honor is at stake. And man cannot win fighting against God. Beloved, Remember this and take it home with you. You cannot win fighting against God. God's honor is at stake. Sin attacks his honor. And therefore, God must cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, God's will must be maintained against all who fight to set it aside. And every one of us by nature, as I told you before, from the birth to the death, apart from the grace of God, we will fight God. We will try to maintain our will and our way and to set aside God's honor and God's way, but God will have none of that. His counsel shall stand, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if, as he tells us in second, in Philippians 2, that the day is coming... When the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, beloved, may I warn you this morning, may I tell you this morning out of love for your soul, Your knee bows to the Lord, of Christ, the Lord of glory. Your knee bows to the Lord Jesus Christ, either in grace and mercy or in judgment. Now it bows to Him in grace and mercy. And He will receive abundantly those that come to Him. He will not turn them away. I don't care what the soul may be. You will not find a more wicked man in the whole Scriptures than Manasseh, the son of the godly king Hezekiah. Fifty-two years he made blood run in the streets of Jerusalem like water. He set up every type of idol that he could possibly set up, tore all the idols into the temple, and blasphemed the name of the holy God. For fifty-two years until God's grace came, laid hold of him, put him in prison, locked him up, and he began to call upon the name of the Lord. And what did God do? God changed him, gave him a new heart and a new nature, and yet he was the most wicked man that ever lived. You want to go by Acts, done So God is able then, and He will, give grace to those who come to Him and call upon His name. Now, I read to you Romans 8, 7, and I said that the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is enmity or inactive rebellion against God. Just, just what does that mean? It means that it's resistance to or defiance of any authority, especially God's authority, enmity, active rebellion against God. And therefore man despises God. He will have none of his counsel, he said in Psalm 107, 11, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. That is, they scorned it, they despised it, they treated it with contempt, they laughed at it, they would have nothing to do with it, they didn't want it. As I began to study the Word of God for this message this morning, it was amazing to me how many times the word rebellion is used in the Scriptures. And all I'm going to do for the rest of the time this morning is show you that the man who has never bowed to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is in active rebellion against God. I'm going to show you, from the Word of God, that every sin is connected with this sin of rebellion, <clears throat> and rebellion <clears throat> has to do, has to do with the pride of the heart. It is said that it is said that when Lucifer the son of the morning. There in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 38, Lucifer, who became Satan, the old devil, before he fell and rebelled against God, it said that pride was found in his heart. That's the reason Adam fell. We showed you from First from Timothy 2 last week that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. He, he purposely, premeditatively, full of pride and rebellion against God, took the fruit and ate it and sinned against God and therefore threw his whole posterity into active rebellion against God. In Deuteronomy 9 we read, Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you believed Him not, nor hearkened to His voice. So we find that unbelief, the back of unbelief, is rebellion against God. The reason a man does not believe is because he's in active rebellion against God. He will not believe apart from the grace of God coming to his heart. Well, I listen to what John has to say in chapter 3 of John. In these words, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you're sitting here this morning without God, and you're sitting there in unbelief, and you have never trusted your soul to the Lord Jesus Christ, remember that you are a. Are you listening to me? I want you to get it. You are a walking rebel against Almighty God because you have not believed the record that God has given of His Son. You say that's strong. Well, you didn't hear what I just read out of John 3. He that believeth shall have everlasting life and he that believeth not shall not see life because the wrath of God abideth upon him. And in the back of your unbelief is this rebellious heart against God. Then again, rebellion is manifested in distrusting his power. In Ezekiel 17 it says, "...but he rebelled against him in sending his ambassadors into Egypt that they might give him horses and much people. Shall he prosper? Shall he escape that, doeth such thing? Or shall he break the covenant and be delivered? He rebelled against the commandment not go down to Egypt and get horses." But it is in any way distrusting the power of God. How many of you distrust the power of God? Do you trust Him at all times to deliver? you trust Him at all times to lead and to guide? You know what's in the back of that? Pride and rebellion because you do not trust Him. My last words when I left that seat this morning to come up here was, Father, remember the, remember the portion you gave me this morning to come here with The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. I believed him. And I still believe him. Otherwise, I would be in rebellion against him for not believing his power. Did you know that every bit of murmuring and complaining is rebellion against God? Numbers 20, and the people rebelled against Moses, saying, would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And God heard that murmuring and sent the serpents among them, and thousands were killed upon the spot. Rebellion is manifested in murmuring against God. How many of us don't murmur? In the, you, you put it down, in the back of murmuring is pride. You could have done it better than God. And so you murmur against the conditions that you're in, or where God has put you, and you murmur against Him and your rebellion against Him, and at that that moment you are at war against God. And God hears that murmuring. Don't you think that that's not a two-edged sword? It cuts asunder and has laid bare my own heart. Through all my suffering with this shoulder and arm the past year, I have cried to God ten thousand times, please don't let me murmur or complain against your dealings with me because I do not want to be found in rebellion against your way and your will. Rebellion is manifested also in this war against God by refusing to hearken unto His Word. Zechariah 7, but they refuse to hearken unto and pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears, that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as adamant stone, lest they should hear the law, and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in His Spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Beloved, when we refuse to hearken to the Word of God, We are in active rebellion against God. We are warring against Him and He doesn't take it very lightly at all. You know what He tells me? In Ephesians 4... He tells me in Ephesians 4: Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, it may minister grace unto the hearers. I'm to obey that. I am not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God whereby I've been sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, watch verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And malice means a continued hatred and hatefulness against God manifested. <clears throat> by taking it out on somebody else in bitterness, what should we do? Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You see, these things are all the way through the Word of God. I want you to listen to this one found in First Timothy 6. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with contempt. content. I would not want to be in the shoes of these radio and television evangelists and these men, as, as we have seen in the papers this week, of what's going on in a certain place in town, of all the millions that they have out of so-called preaching the gospel, I would not want to be in their shoes for ten million worlds like this one because what they are saying is that gain is godliness. And God's Word says that gain is not godliness. And I'll go you a step further. He tells us further here that we are to withdraw ourselves from such. Have nothing to do with them. Leave them alone. They're not not taking us to Christ. They're taking us to hell as fast as they can get their people there to go there. We are are to withdraw ourselves from them. And we have a responsibility to try the spirits, whether the spirits of God or whether they be of man... So active rebellion then is refusing to hearken to the Word of God. I'll give you another one. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjections to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation or behavior coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart But he doesn't leave it there. You know what he does? He says, Likewise, ye husbands. He says, Leo Shelton, Jr., dwell with that dear wife of yours according to knowledge. Give an honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers be not In other words, I am, according to what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, I am to do this. He gives us the same thing again. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, So let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So men ought to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church... For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his mind, of his bones. What is he saying? He said, I'm to love my wife, as Christ loved the church. You know what that means? I can't love her too much. I cannot love her too much. And I'm to show it. Rebellion is manifested by refusing to hearken unto him. But I want you to turn with me to Proverbs 28. I want you to see this. Proverbs 28, verses 25 and 26. I want you to see what he has to say about this pride and, and this rebellion which is war against God. And may the Holy Spirit take it home to our, to our hearts is my cry. Verse 25 of Proverbs 28. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. All strife comes by pride. In another place he says that by pride cometh contention. All contention. Wherever it is. In the church, in the home, in the workplace, among neighbors, you name it, all contention comes by pride. Somebody wanting to have their own way. And this is what he says here. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. And the contrast between the proud and him that trusteth in the Lord is very remarkable because look what he says in verse, that same verse. He that the a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat in the Lord. The Lord will bless him and, and lead him and guide him. It is a man's nature to stir up strife. A proud-hearted man is never contented. You couldn't please him no matter what you did. He's never contented, but is always seeking with ambitious grasp to be something else or to have something else. He's like Haman there in the book of, of Esther. Haman was never satisfied with, with, until all had bowed their knee to him and acknowledged his place of importance. He could have left Mordecai alone and he would have still been alive today, as it were. But because Mordecai wouldn't bow the knee to him, the proud, proud-hearted man was stirred up to wrath to kill him on that 75-foot sc- uh, <clears throat> hangman's place. But he wound up being hung on there himself. But I don't know if you've ever read the second and third epistles of John. You ever read them? There's three epistles in the Bible that are hardly ever read. Four. Philemon, second and third John, and Jude. But I'm in third John. Verse 9, John said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. And beloved, when someone comes among us, or is already among us, and they have got to have that preeminence in everything... You got trouble on your hands. Ask me, I'll tell you. Ask me, I'll tell you all about it. They get troubles on your hands. They got to have the preeminence. The proud heart stirreth up wrath. This individual is of a proud heart and stirreth up wrath to have his or own way. Listen to them. They're whispering, slandering, backbiting. They can't leave anything alone. Their heart is empty. They have no praise for the Lord, no thankfulness for His mercies, no grace shown to others. They've got to have the preeminence. It is not like the man who puts his trust in the Lord. He who puts his trust in the Lord is fat. I'm sure glad that we can go through the Bible and read it as a whole starting at Genesis and going on through because if we don't, we miss a lot. (laughs) All I ever knew out of Jeremiah 17... Was verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. It's all I ever knew out of chapter 17. Until I read the book of Jeremiah, going through reading the Bible. And I found in verse 7 and 8 the most beautiful verses you ever seen in your life. I marked them in red and highlighted them. And this is what it said Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out his roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be anxious in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And, beloved, that's the way God wants us to walk. Contented. Not proud, stirring up wrath, but to walk contented. And if we walk contented in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be like that tree planted by the rivers of living water. Our roots will spread out to the river to get all the water that we want to make us green and our leaves constantly than fruit being born. And neither shall it cease from yielding fruit. Isn't that a whole lot different from being proud and stirring up wrath? Did you know that rebellion in the scripture is connected with stubbornness? I'm not going to run out of scripture, because I got enough here for a couple more hours along this one line. That if I would stop on preach and preach and, and admonish on every one of them, we'd be here till three o'clock. But I was hit, trying to hit the highlights this morning by the grace of God because I'll tell you why. You almost, you almost, you've got to understand a man who stands in the pulpit. A man who has a true heart of a pastor. Loves his people. He wants them to hear and to know the truth. All the time I was laid up, it was on my heart needed to be a series preached on sin in our midst. Whether they were liked or not liked, whether nobody ever came back or not, I had to preach a series on sin to so let us know again that awful, the awfulness of sin and why we need the grace of God to hold us day by day. Because we can't do this of ourselves. We can't put these things into operation of ourselves. We need the work of God's Holy Spirit in our souls to do this. But how am I going to know that I need Christ or I need to cry every day against sin, and against my way? And as soon as these thoughts of rebellion or pride come into my heart and mind, then immediately I would take them Write to him as he tells us in Second Corinthians ten, taking everything captive and bringing it to Christ. And tell him all about it that you don't want it. You want holiness, you don't want sin. That's my favorite one before God, when thoughts come into my mind that I don't want they're not of God the right away. As soon as they come, I'll say, Lord, I don't want those, I want holiness. I want holiness. I don't want to be in rebellion against God. I said that rebellion is connected with stubbornness. Deuteronomy 31, For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck, thy stubbornness. Behold, while I was yet alive, Moses said, (coughs) You have to this day been nothing but a rebellious people against the Lord, and how much more after my death. Well, I want you to go back with me to Proverbs 28 again. There's one verse of Scripture I wanted to bring before your mind. It reads He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool.
1: Do
0: you know what It said in verse twenty five, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up wrath, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But go to verse one of verse twenty nine of chapter twenty nine. One of the most awful verses in the scripture. You're not going to... Listen, listen. You're not going to escape this message today. You're not going to escape it. Because you're going to hear it again if you don't bow this morning and confess unto God that you have a rebellious heart and brought on by pride. And you're willing now for God to break you. And you're willing to come and bathe in the blood of Christ. Christ. You're willing to take the blame before Him. I praise God, that's what will happen. But look at first 1, Proverbs 29. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That's awful for a person to sit under the Gospel, to have their hearts opened by the Word of God, and to hear a message this morning that cost me every ounce of strength I had to get to this place this morning, and and the strength of God to proclaim what He laid upon my heart to say. If you turn it away, how do you know that being often reproved, you go away one more time, and you said, And one thing, I know, the word of God is not going to tell me what to do." Those awful words, he that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck. That is, he stubborn rebellious, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. One other thought, and I'll let you go. Sin not only is rebellion against God, but sin is intolerant of God. It is intolerance of the will of God over the life that men hate. And for proof of this, that this is truth, with all who are under control of sin... One needs but to present to a person under that control a call to surrender to the will of God, and I will instantly, and it will instantly bring to the surface his spirit of intolerance, his hatred for God. Listen now. I'm about finished. I want you to get this before you go. We come with the Word of God. And there are three ways you might act toward that Word that has come to your heart this morning. Are you listening? You may react to this call this morning with just sullen silence. You shut up, you go out, and you don't say a word. Second, you might come back at me with sarcastic insults. Why do you want to get so close to me with your preaching that you're going to cut my heart out with that sword? Praise God if it does. You come back with some sarcastic insult. Or, smiling very courteous, very refined, you say, I don't want to have this man all over me. Because you know something? When God deals with our hearts, He always crosses us at, the, at our wills where we'll hurt. God doesn't beat around the bush when he deals with us. He comes and he comes to that place where his. Uh, he, he comes and he crosses us at that place where our, our will rebels against him. I have seen in my lifetime some of the most religious. Docile, kind, tender individuals. And you would think, they'd go to to heaven the very next minute if they die. I've seen God cross their wills, for they have never bent, they have never bowed, and I have seen them throw a hissy like you ain't never seen in all your life. God crossed them that is, at their wills. Let me tell you all something this morning by the grace of God. Greatest thing could ever happened to your soul by the grace of God it happened to mine. That God would cross your will where it hurts. And you would be broken at His feet. What does the word intolerance mean? The word intolerance means I will not listen to the word or opinion of another. Do you listen to me? I will not listen to the word or opinions of another as to how I should conduct my life. I will not yield to reason, for my mind is made up to have my own way, live my own life, and do my own thing. I am narrow-minded. I am prejudiced. I am inflexible. I am set in my ways to the things of God and I will not yield to them under any circumstances. That is the ultimate height of rebellion against God that you will not tolerate Him to rule over you. What should I do, Pastor? Well, I tell you this morning... I heard a message like that when I was under conviction. I'd die. I'd have got up underneath the bench crying for mercy. Well, there's one thing you want to do. Right now, you want to start confessing to God. If He's convicted your heart in any way, shape, form, or fashion, You want to start confessing to Him, Lord, I'm to blame. I'm to blame. Pride and rebellion. I've been at war against you. I don't want to be at war against you anymore. I want to hate and abhor and to put away and depart from and strive against, and mortify, and wholly destroy every sin that would hold me captive. I come by faith this morning to the fountain of sin, open for sin, uncleanness, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I come to You, Lord Jesus, just as I am without one plea but that Thy blood was shed for me. And that Thou bidst me come to Thee, O Lamb of God. I come, I come. Come to Christ. I want my sins taken away. I want them washed away in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come praying that Thou will do a work of grace in my heart. I want Christ. I don't want my way. And I don't want my will. Do you know something? That's the place of surrender. And that's the place of blessing. And that's the place of mercy. And that's the place of grace. And that's the place where God is calling for each and every one of us to come this morning and lay at His feet. I cried to God, let me deliver this message in tenderness this morning. And He has... Now you have a responsibility before God as to what you do with it. I've done what God wanted me to do. I love you. Every one of you. Praying for you. And ask
1: God's mercy upon each and every heart. MONTON, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L, 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalogue. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart,